Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. All right, howdy. Howdy. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, if you're new, one, we just want to give you a big welcome. It's always good to see new faces uh, up here in RUF. Um, If there's anything that I can do to just kind of answer your questions or help orient you to our ministry and what we do and what we're all about, uh, I'd be happy to just come introduce yourself after the service um, or really anybody that you've seen up here tonight, go grab them, introduce yourself and say, hey, um, tell me more. So uh, we'd love to do that. Um, yeah, I also I just wanted to welcome Steph. I'm really glad he's here. Um, I know some of the freshmen, you won't remember this, but um, last year during, during COVID, we did some in-house, like our in-house fall conferences and um, you, you can tell, I don't think Steph's embarrassed, that, that he's missing half a leg. That, that happened. He was in a really bad accident. We didn't know if Steph was going to um, survive it, actually. And that happened during last year's uh, fall conference. And we pray as a community um, a lot for that. And it's just been really cool to see how... The Lord has provided step, really uh, saved a lot of his leg function, and so it's just kind of cool. Just having like last week being our you know fall conference again, and everything's kind of come full circle. And anyway, really glad you're here, man, and um, glad you're doing well. So yeah, y'all get to talk to Step about ministry stuff, but also just in general. He's a real yeah, cool his dude. legs look all right to me. No, yeah, he's good. Um, which is which interestingly enough thankfully it wasn't as severe as a steps injury but we actually at fall conference poor story dislocated his knee so maybe oh there he is yeah yeah so it could be worse it could be worse story it could be worse so always look on always look on the bright side um but we're glad you're here we're glad you're here um All right, so we ended last week halfway through the story of Noah and the flood, somewhat famous Bible story, even if you grew up in the church or not. And so just to recap last week, um, so because of just the rampant evil and corruption of mankind on the earth, God determined in ancient times to put an end to Sin by putting an end to sinners. Um, and the, the method of him pouring out his actually good divine justice was actually to undo or unmake creation itself. So he decreated the world and sent it back into its kind of primordial, watery chaos world that it started with before creation, um, back to its formless and void state. Um, so he wipes the world clean, all except for Noah and his family and this kind of remnant of animal life, right? Their little floating zoo, um, as it were, tucked safe and sound in the, uh, as we talked about last week, this kind of ark, temple, sanctuary, right? Really kind of this contained in this boat, this new heavens and new earth, little temple sanctuary, protected uh, by God's own hand from the hand of his wrath. And so that's where we ended. So let's let the rest 
of the drama unfold. So Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month and the 10th month on the first day of the month. The tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Uh, let's pray. Lord, um, I know this is a story that is you know, familiar to a lot of us. Um, and sometimes it, it can be like so familiar and we've just seen it in children's books and flannel graphs and all that kind of stuff to where it, it feels like maybe this is kind of more of a cartoon um, than actual like your word and real life and something that has anything to say to us today. Um, so Lord, would you, um, just by your spirit, just help us to kind of see this with fresh eyes. Maybe see the grittiness, the reality, and like why just a story about a boat and a man, animals and the flood and things, you know, whatever, sin being washed away, people repopulating, like how does this have anything to do with like the tests I have this week or the anxieties I have? I pray that you would um, give us fresh eyes to see why your word matters for us, why it is actually for us today, right now, even. And it's your name, we ask that you would do this. Amen. Um, okay, so from time to time, I know I have, I'm sure you have as well, you've kind of had like a distinct sense that like you need to change, that there needs to be some kind of change or transformation in your life. Maybe, maybe it came about because of some like brush with tragedy. And it was just kind of like a smelling salt for you. They're like, whoa, like life is short, life is fleeting, like some things got to change. 
Um, maybe maybe because of a particularly bad mistake that you made. You're like, ooh, I've got to be different. Um, maybe it's kind of a, a final straw that you just realized maybe you've kind of been coasting down a certain path and you kind of hit the proverbial rock bottom. You're like, I got I to gotta get my stuff back together. Uh, this is not how I want my life to be, right? You want to turn over a new leaf, new start. Maybe it's just because uh, you're transitioned. So many of you, freshmen, new school, new place, new city. Um, or maybe last semester, last year, because of COVID, was really weird. And this year feels like kind of a new start, like a new lot on school. And so it's like, hey, I, need, like, I want there to be a new me to kind of match my new surroundings, new circumstances. You know, what oftentimes is the problem with that? Well, if you're anything like me, uh, it can be really hard to actually even as you lean into change, as you lean into changing things about you, it's really hard to make that change stick. Right? Even when you earnestly are sitting here going like, I actually really want to be different. I want to change. Um, but it can still be hard to manufacture that, to do that, and to like stick with it. Um, so here in the story of the flood, we're, we're seeing God is exacting on the world right, a hard, hard restart. And the intention, it would seem, is that God actually wants a change, that he hates sin, dislikes sin, and wants to see a new reality uh, kind of birth and flourish out of the scene, out on the other end of it. So I just want us to think about a few things this evening. I think this passage shows us about how God envisions real, actual, even lasting, sustainable change in our life. So, um, so first, uh, I want to revisit the idea we talked about last week. That, yes, the story of Noah and the flood, is, is, it's about itself. Right? It's, a, it's a presenting itself as a historical account. I mean, you, you heard it. Like, on the this year, the this month, like, this is trying to present itself as real, true history. And that might kind of rub you weird, but that's just the reality of the text that we're dealing with. So it's about itself. But if we look at scriptures in the New Testament, like Second Peter chapter 3, you'll see kind of people in the New Testament picking up this story and doing something with it where they're saying that, hey, look, like this event and its themes and its imagery, like this is actually a story that points outside of itself to teach us, right? To teach New Testament Christian people standing here today about what? About uh, the last days, right? The end times, when God would come to judge the world in this, this final way, right? So the flood is teaching us about actually what we can expect in the future, in the end. But, so not only is it a foreshadowing, a foretaste of, of the judgment of that, it's also a foretaste of what's to come on the back end of that judgment, which is what? The new creation. The new heavens and the new earth. The restoration of all things back to the way they were always supposed to be. And um, so let, let me just let me pose this to you. 
what do you think it's going to take for you to grow into the man or woman that you're supposed to be? What do you think it's going to take for you to be transformed kind of in a new heavens, new earth kind of way into what God actually has purposed for you? Um, I love this little quote. There's an um, art historian named Hans Ruckmacher. I think I'm saying that right. He said this. He said, Christ did not come into the world to make Christians, but to make humans. Of course, the two are the same. Um, but, of course, Ruckmacher was arguing kind of against this like false super-spirituality um, and instead is saying that, the, that when the new heavens and new earth um, come and manifest itself in our lives, that it actually makes us into human beings the way human beings were meant to be. And, I, like, I just, I love that. You know, I don't know if we actually talk about that Enough that like what it means to follow Christ is to be fully human. Like I, I love kind of the swagger and the bravado of that. Even I, th- I think we need to kind of lean into that a little bit more because it's just it's easy for us as Christians to just feel like like oh like we're just we walk into the room and we act as Christians and it's kind of like a bummer because like we throw the wet blanket on like what's fun and we tell people like don't do that don't live like that. But actually what it looks like to be a Christian is to be fully and more vibrantly human than any other people on the planet. Um, And what does that mean? What does it mean to be fully alive? It's to know Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and to live in his kingdom. But here's the irony. Here's the irony of being made fully alive. The upside-down nature of being truly alive as a human being is that you actually have to experience a death first. Have to experience a death first. Right? You have to look to the death of Jesus and comprehend there that in his death, in his death, that I die there. That you die there. My sin died there with Jesus. Right? My need to feel okay about myself based on the approval of others, it died there. My need to have everything go my way and my needs met the way I want them to be met, that dies there too. Right? That in the death of Jesus, we find transformative power when we trust that when I trust that objectively William Bondurant, the selfish sinner, was put to death in Jesus. He's gone. Right? The flood waters of God's wrath covered him. It took him out. We can't find him anymore. He doesn't exist anymore. He's gone. And when you trust in Jesus, that same thing is true. Um, you know, I think oftentimes when I when I maybe even articulated like what it means to be saved or what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I think I, maybe in the past I've communicated it as like I am just a forgiven version. Of my old self. That's actually not biblical. Right? I am a forgiven new self. Because objectively the old William died. Right? The second I trusted in Jesus. The old you dies. When you're connected. When you rest 
on Jesus is gone, and now you are a forgiven new you. Fill in the blank. And man, that is a humbling reality, though. It is a humbling reality. And here's where I think, like, really, really when you lean into that, that is where real change is going to happen. Let me ask you like this. How sinful do you think you are? Or better yet, let me, um, let me put it like this. How much bad stuff needs to happen to Jesus to make up for your sin? Right? How much bad has to happen to Jesus? Look, I, like, I'm confident here that like, we're all aware, I feel like it's just a truism, even in like, secular, non-Christian society. People like, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Um, but I still suspect <laughs> that if you looked at 90%, whatever it is, most of like your conflict that you bump up into on a daily basis, and like if you were asked to explain, like, why, why did you and him, why did y'all like get after each other, like, what, what was the problem? And you'd be like, well, I mean, like, I'm not perfect, but like the main reason that happened is because of this laundry list of the things that they did wrong or that they failed to do right. right? We all kind of have this sense that we're not perfect, but we're still all kind of the hero of our own particular story. And y'all, I think real change comes when you start to see that you're not the hero of your story and that everyone else isn't the bad guy of your story. And, like, you might not even be one of the good guys in the story. Jesus didn't need to just kind of get, like, roughed up a little bit in a back alley for your sin. He had to be destroyed. He had to have the floodwaters of God's wrath just take him out. Right? And when we can actually, like, wrap our minds and our hearts and like all that we are around that truth, I think that's the kind of heart that then becomes like soft and humble and can actually lean into being formed and shaped into Christ-likeness. But you can actually change when one, you realize how big your sin is, but how big God's grace is and how much he is providing you and in the freedom that you have in that. So when, like, when you can do that, that will be refreshment. That will be renewal. That will be transformation for you. Um, and look, and here's why. It's only when you reckon with what Jesus has put to death that I think you can then come to step into life. Right? When you reckon with like how you have died in Jesus, then I think it is only then that you can see the beauty of life and that you can have life in Jesus. Um, so let's go back to the passage. So in verse 15, um, it says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And it's just kind of this right, beautiful scene of like from... The, the waters of, of death and burial, this like new creation, people step back onto the earth and repopulate it, uh, kind of like the, the original creation. But I love how uh, Meredith Klein, Meredith is a, he's a, he's a dude, 
named Meredith. Um, I'm sure he loved that. Uh, he is kind of this big-time Old Testament scholar, and he, he says this about this scene. The Lord's command, so God's saying, come out of the ark, was a summons to the dead to come forth from the grave. That the ark was a veritable burial chamber in the passage through death waters. The uncovering of the ark and the coming forth was symbolic of the resurrection of the saints. This ark company, the preserved remnant, was now the victorious remnant. Prototypes of the overcomers who inherit the eternal temple city of Revelation. The community of glorified mankind. New humanity in the image of God. Their dominion under God over the cosmos perfected. That's just awesome, right? And that's what that scene, that's what this is pointing forward to. Actually, what we're longing forward to. And, you know, I, I don't think you have to be a convinced Christian to admit with honesty, full-throatedly, that, hey, eternal life. That's all. Who's going to argue that's not awesome? Uh, horrible things in the universe going away, being undone. Who wouldn't want that? You know, good things, then replacing that. All the good things made even better than they are now. We all want that. And then I think the, t- the coup de grace, you, yourself, being able to look at yourself, examine yourself inside and out, and just with complete, like, unveiled, unsarcastic, just all the blinders off, all self-delusion removed, just be able to be like, I like me. <laughs> I'm okay. I feel okay. And I am super. This is who I am. This is who I'm supposed to be. And this is who my Father has made me to be. Right? Who wouldn't want to like live in just like that kind of pure, wholesome, full reality? Um, I can't even remember who I was talking to about it. It was somebody in the court. Was it? It was either Thomas or Noah talking about like guys in in your outfit that have said stuff like you know. I, like, I, I wish I could be, like, I wish I could believe Christianity was true because it sounds so good. I think one of you were like, well, well just what if it is? <laughs> what if it is? To believe in Jesus is to be promised that reality will one day come all the way fully, completely true. Okay? And, and, to believe in Jesus is to also be called out of death into life and to start experiencing the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth now. Right? That you can actually tap into it now. Is your body perfect and deathless now? No. Um, there's a lot of comfort and encouragement in the fact that it will, one day Steph is going to have his entire life back. That's beautiful. Um, can I look at my heart and say, like, man, everything that goes on there is just honorable and clean? No. But the fact that God declares new heavens, new earth, life over me now, that he is actually in the process of shining light on the dark places of my heart, helping me to hate those things, and to lean into what real life is, and is actually giving me the power 
to like live to putting sin to death and living unto life, right? Like having the future promise of the new heavens and new earth actually matters now because we can go ahead and tap in and live forward into that reality now, right? You know, Jesus is actually calling us to walk out of tombs in our life. And there are tombs in your life. There's tombs in my life. And they might not feel like tombs. They might feel like really warm, safe, fuzzy, comfy places. It might be your room. Tomb might be the fact that you just stay up way too late watching TV. Maybe watching things you're not supposed to be watching. Stuff is fine, but you just like can't just turn off the Netflix and go, that might be a tomb. Uh, your bed might be a tomb. Right, the fact that like, you just can't get out of it before noon and go do things. Your bed could be a tomb. Um, your tomb could be, I'm going to make myself so busy that I don't have time to, time to feel things. I definitely won't have time for anyone to see the bad parts of me because no one can actually know me when I'm so busy. And I don't have to know anyone else because I'm too busy. And so like the real hard work of life Avoided, and I can just hold up like work, accomplishments, money. Here's all the things I do. I'm good. And it's a tent. Devoid of real, actual life. The kind of life that Jesus has actually made you for. Jesus has made you alive in him. You're alive now. Living people don't belong in tombs. They can't. Living people have to walk out of tombs. Um, you know, it, that means, like, look, I, I know it is really hard to sometimes make the mental leap in the moment that says, um, look, I just, I, I, I need to get out of my room and I need to go to that Bible study or I need to, like, go to that service project or I need to, like, go... Get up in the morning, go to church on Sunday. Like, like, that is hard. But because we are alive and because we are not dead, right, we actually have the ability to go, I'm alive. And like real life, fulfilling, just breathe it in, breathe it out, I'm okay kind of life means that we can actually step into life, which looks like life with Jesus, life with his people, Life in his word, feasting on his word together, because we're not starving people. We're full. Um, right, that's what being alive is. I'm going to actually put down my busyness. It actually might mean stepping out of tomb might look like going, hey, I've overcommitted myself, and I'm going to take up the responsibility and the mantle because I'm okay and I'm full, and I'm going to make that call to my org or my flow president and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I made this commitment and I am gonna, now I'm going to have to say, like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. But like, you can do that because you're not dead, you're not enslaved to death, you're actually alive and full and you can actually own up to when you've ever committed it yourself. And you can be a healthy, living person before God and man. Like, why? We're not manufacturing this ourselves. We're saying, like, actually, we can't have life unless God makes us alive. We're saying, 
we can step into living because of what God has objectively already done in Jesus. Right? He has called you from death to life, so you are alive. That's the good news of real change, the real change that can only happen in Jesus. Instead, it is a foregone conclusion that it is already yours. Right? So friends, like, why would you live any differently than what is actually true? Right? Let's live into reality. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, even as we, we say this, um, we know that real life, full life, just breathe it in, breathe it out, clear-minded, like we're okay, we're settled, we're not pushed around by anxieties or disappointments or fear or like what other people are going to think about us that like actually leaving death and stepping into that kind of life um, is something that escapes us. Um, that though the old man, the old woman is in the cosmic shakeout of things, objectively dead, it's gone. Um, There's still there's still a pull there, and Lord, we need your power to shake that off, to step and put on our new new heavens and new earth clothes, step out of our tombs, and that only happens by your power, right? Dead people can't get up and start walking around. We can't be transformed unless you make us alive. And so we ask that you would do that by your kindness, Lord. And it's your name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.